This morning's scripture is Matthew 22, verses 34 through 46, and it can be found on page 857 in your pew Bible. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test it. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David, by the Spirit, calls him the Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. True or false? Yes, it's a quiz. True or false? The God of the Old Testament is a God of laws, and the God of the New Testament is a God of love. I'm hearing true and false, but I'm hearing more false than true, so somebody has taught you well. That's excellent. Does it mean I can sit down now, Curtis? Go deeper. There's not a shelf here. The tissue just went all the way through. I'm about to dry up. Many of us grew up hearing that old expression. The Old Testament God is a God of law. The New Testament God is a God of love. That is such a superficial reading of the text. It doesn't go deeper. Yes, the Old Testament has a lot of laws in it, but do you know why the law was given? Why did God give the law to the people of Israel? We're going to explore that, and I hope that those of you who answered true to the quiz will come out thinking, well, you know, I think maybe she's got a point. Maybe she's right. Jesus makes it very clear in the text that was read this morning, and I'm sorry, I don't even know the name of the person who read so beautifully, but thank you. Jesus makes it clear that love and law are not opposed to each other, that in fact, law is a way of expressing our love. What is the greatest commandment? And the person who asked the question thought, Got him. 
It's a trick question. And Jesus, of course, was always genius at dealing with those attempts to trick him. The greatest commandment? Piece of cake. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The Apostle Paul picks up on the same idea. And in fact, there's a wonderful expression of that in the 13th chapter of Romans. And I want to read you just a couple of verses from Romans. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandments there may be, are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, some of you have studied Old Testament law very extensively and know how intricate it is. But I would say to you that the point of the law is to protect us from being really foolish and to protect our neighbors from ourselves when we are being foolish. For instance, Leviticus 19. How many of you have read Leviticus lately? All right, I got you on one. Just let me lift out a few of the points in the 19th chapter of Leviticus. It's great stuff. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Don't go around your vineyard a second time and pick up the grapes that have fallen. Why? Now, I know you know the answer to this. To feed the poor. The law was about caring for people. Don't be greedy and get every single grain of wheat or whatever, barley, out of your field. Leave it. There are people who need that, who cannot afford to buy it. Another one. Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. It's about caring for others. It's about protecting your neighbor when you're feeling greedy and selfish. Do not hold back the wages of the hired man overnight. Now, you probably know something about day laborers here, right? Folks who live that way live hand to mouth. Those wages at the end of the day are critical to feeding the family. Here's one. Bet you haven't thought about this one lately. Do not curse the deaf. Yes, that means your mother when she's getting older and can't hear you. Don't mutter imprecations under your breath to your mother just because you think she's not listening. She may not be able to hear you. Don't put a stumbling block in front of the blind. Well, duh. Don't put something in the way of a blind person. That's tough, isn't it? It's about caring for people. Do not pervert justice. Don't go about spreading slander. 
Oh, now we're getting into the respectable sins, aren't we? Mm. We're not even going to talk about sex today, but we may talk about slander and gossip and greed and some of those things. Don't do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. The law is real practical. It's real fundamental. Take care of each other. The law was not given to prevent us from having fun, un unless your idea of fun is really twisted. The law is a fence to slow us down before we go barreling over the cliff and do something really, really stupid. When I was in seminary, at that seminary that Curtis still won't even acknowledge exists, He's rude every time it's mentioned. It's a good thing I love you, Curtis. I put off taking Hebrew till my last semester in seminary. I, I don't know if I thought it would go away if I didn't take it earlier or what, but you know, I put it off. And toward the end of that term, which I hoped would be my last term in seminary, I went to my Hebrew professor and said, Dr. Owens, Am I going to graduate? Because Hebrew was required to graduate from seminary. He looked at me and said, Well, Carol, I ask myself three questions when I'm in this kind of circumstance. The first is, have you learned anything this semester? And I think you have. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have. Oh, yeah, I have, Dr. Owens. Don't ask me what it is, but I'm sure I've learned something. The second question is, will you be around for another term to take it again without screwing up your whole schedule of when you want to get out of school? And you're not planning to be around another semester, are you? No, sir. And the third question is, will it do you any good to take it again? And I think the answer is no. He gave me a D-plus and I graduated from seminary and that's my definition of grace. <laughs> Unmerited favor. That's grace. I tell you that story because I want to tell you what the one thing is I remember learning in Hebrew class. He would be so proud. He said Hebrew, as we read it, translated in our Bibles, is Hebrew is so much richer than the English can possibly express in a few words. It's even more so than Spanish. You know, when I'm preaching in a Spanish situation, I say a sentence and about three paragraphs later the translator looks back at me, I'm ready for you. Hebrew's even more so. And Dr. Owens said, what we read in Exodus 20 as thou shalt, thou shalt not, doesn't even come close to expressing the richness of what the writer is saying. What is implied in the Hebrew is, I, God, love you so much that I want what is best for you, and therefore I would that you would have no other gods before you. I, God, love you so much and want what is best for you, and therefore I would that you would honor your parents. I, God, love you so much and want what is best for you so much that I would 
that you would not steal. Are you hearing this? I, God, love you so much and want what is best for you. And therefore, I would that you would not covet. I know I'm skipping some of them. I'll go through all of them if you would like. I have them right in front of me. The idea is that the law is not given in the spirit of a spoil sport. I'm going to keep you from having a good time because I can, because I'm God. No, it's given in the spirit of, I want, if at all possible, to keep you from falling on your face or worse. I want to keep you from going over the cliff. The law is there as a reminder, as a break on some of our worst instincts. And we've got them. Oh, we've got those bad instincts. I, you know, I, Karen told you I was a preacher's kid. I'm a preacher's kid, a preacher's wife, and a preacher. I cannot be surprised <laughs> about sin or the church, and I'm not equating those two. Although there have been times in my life when I've thought, they're all here. Every sinner in the world is sitting in this church. We are capable of great good, but we are capable of great evil as well. And the law was given to us to slow us down, to remind us. I have a good friend who had a very, very difficult childhood. She was abused by her father. Her mother turned the other way rather than acknowledge what was going on. I met her when we were young adults, and she was beginning to deal with the pain, the anger, all that goes with the abuse of a child. And she's done a lot of therapy over the course of her life. But when she was in her 40s, her parents became ill, and it became necessary for her to move several hundred miles from where she was serving a church to take care of her parents. And for, oh, at least a decade, she cared for her mother and father lovingly and tenderly. And I, I said to her, I don't understand how you can do that. Given what they did to you as a child, how is it that you are able to love them and give honor to them by caring for them in their need. And she said, I'm at peace about this. I don't hate my parents. No, I haven't forgotten. One doesn't forget. But I've forgiven and I've moved on in my life and I am able to do this because God has given me the grace to do it and given me peace about it. I believe that's where love and law come together. Where the law says, honor your father and your mother. And it doesn't say honor your father and your mother if they deserve it. That through the grace of God, 
my friend has been able to overcome the pain, the anger, and to give lovingly to people who hurt her. She is living the law of love. That is grace, and that is a possibility in our lives if we allow ourselves to see that the law is not designed to hamstring us, to bind us. The law, in fact, is intended to free us to be all that we can possibly be. Yes, it is a law of love. I'm not preaching a gospel of law. I'm saying that the law was given out of God's love for us, and we live in consistency with that through the love of Christ. It is only in the grace of God that the law can be fulfilled. I mean, we know we can't fulfill the letter of the law. Have you read Leviticus? I mean, it's intense. Christ had to take care of that. Christ had to die for us to take care of that. And yet, Jesus says, and Paul repeats, when we love our neighbors, we are fulfilling the spirit of the law. It is the spirit that counts. We serve a God of love who has tried every means that that God could possibly think of to get through to us with that message of love. The law was given out of love. We couldn't follow it. Christ came out of love because we were inadequate. And we are now called to love as Christ called in his words to his disciples and to his enemies. The commandment, the great commandment, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. And you should love your neighbor as you love yourself. Impossible! Can't be done! True, in our own strength. I mean, I know about that. I am the least patient, the most judgmental person you would hope to meet. I mean, it's just, it's awful. I seriously struggle with my sense of, well, you are sure screwed up. Be nice if you'd get straightened out. Um, okay, let's let's turn that back. <laughs> and I don't know what your struggle is, but you surely have struggles with where am I going in my life? How am I getting there? How am I going to possibly live consistent with this faith I espouse? It's a, I started to say it's a daily thing. It's not. It's a moment-by-moment moment thing, isn't it? Because every little thing can spring up to trip us. When I was in college, we had a guest speaker one time in our student um, religious group. And he's, he was Southern Baptist. And he's, 
and I don't, I don't mean to be rude about Southern Baptists, but you know, I am a recovering one. <clears throat> there are a lot of us. He said, what is the purpose of salvation? I've never been shy, so I just, I got a response. Hadn't even thought about it. It just came out my mouth before I even knew what it was going to, to be. You don't ever do that, do you, Curtis? No, right. Yeah, yeah. Curtis and I understand each other. And I said, and to my utter astonishment, you know, 45 years later, I still believe it. I think I am saved to keep me from being my worst possible self. I believe that the gift of salvation in my life is to enable me to be the best self God has in mind for me, rather than the worst self that I so often fall into. Now, you can imagine that the speaker was not pleased with this answer, because the correct answer was, go to heaven, avoid hell. Well, we, we do enough of that on, on earth that we need to deal with it right here. I, I encourage you, as you are walking through each day and making the decisions that we have to make every moment, to remember the law of love is what drives us, is what we're called to, that we are called to be the best self that God intends for us. And I pray that for you as I go forward in my own journey. I will remember you and remember that you too need that prayer. Amen.